the Clixie podcast with Tim Flagg. Insight, opinion and advice from the leading practitioners in digital marketing and e-commerce. I think the biggest marriage we're waiting for is native ads to be married to data-driven marketing. This is the Click Z Digital Marketing Podcast, and I'm joined by Amir Malik. We'll be getting a publisher's perspective on the future of programmatic. My guest today on the Click Z Digital Marketing Podcast is Amir Malik. Amir began his career working at Google and then Bing before joining the Daily Mail and working on their programmatic strategy, focusing on data acquisition and yield optimization for real-time bidding. Within the Daily Mail group, Amir moved to Local World to develop their programmatic function from scratch. And when Trinity Mirror acquired Local World, Amir became Director of Programmatic and Digital. His main area of focus has been transforming Trinity Mirror's first-party data capabilities along with its use of programmatic technology. It was recently announced that Amir would be leaving Trinity Mirror to join Accenture Interactive. Amir has been described as a leading personality in the programmatic sector. So Amir, it's a pleasure to welcome you to the Clixy Digital Marketing Podcast. Thank you for welcoming me. That was a great introduction. And yeah, it's good to, uh, it's good to be invited to um, such an uh, interesting uh, podcast series. Thank you very much. Well, I'm really looking forward to hearing your insights on the future of advertising and specifically within programmatic from a publisher's perspective. But first, it'd be really great if you could maybe just tell us a little bit more about you and what you do. I was literally uh, just like any graduate, confused about what I wanted to do. I uh, lost about four years of my life um, gaming and entering the esports industry. At a competitive level? At a competitive level, yeah. I played for FM Toxic team, which was one of the top European teams. But, you know, it's a, kind of a grandiose way for saying I was a bit of a, uh, a layabout, I, I reckon. And I um, I just was confused. I, kn- I always was passionate about computers. And I, I, f- I thought and saw a lot of my friends going into finance and I just wanted to make sure that I, I entered the right industry. And that's, it's going to be quite hard and confusing, especially when you're a millennial and you're used to having what you want. And there's all this recent psychology research, which suggests that millennials are, are, don't deal well with the you know, um, rejection, etc. I think that's kind of true and, and, and aren't certain about you know, the future and what they want to do. And I think for myself, becoming more self-aware, I realized that I needed an industry which balanced um, my interest in computers with something that could yield me um, success. So I, I tirelessly applied for roles within digital. I started in a very junior role, um, just monitoring kind of search queries uh, for Google and search optimization. And from there, I went on to contract at Microsoft on Bing and essentially didn't really find what I was looking for. It was at that point that um, an acquaintance of mine advised me to work for an ad network and I applied to one. And I was interested in artificial intelligence at the time and automation and kind of shared autonomy or the use of robots in the future, etc. I stumbled across what was becoming standard. Well, it wasn't, it's not even really standardized yet, but programmatically. I was a programmatic analyst. Of, at the time, I was called a network analyst because that term didn't exist. And um, I worked for um, the Mail Online um, and was part of an integration of any media, which was the network within the Daily Mail group. And we looked after the inventory and supply or digital supply of um, the mailonline.co.uk, local worlds, regional sites, Evening Standard and Independent, and, and some of Haymarket sites, etc. And uh, it was just like a crash course into this amazing new area. And it was about being at the right place at the right time. 
and um, and also about deploying lots of my um, my skill sets, which I developed sort of organically in computing and coding, and and that was really useful. And at that point, I um, I learned about real time bidding, about the use of cookies. Um, I kind of um, gambled on programmatic uh, becoming a more important source of media execution and decided to take a role within the DMGT group at Local World. And regional media wasn't a very respected kind of um, supply channel by the, uh, by the, by the advertisers um, those in that time. And this is uh, about three, three or four years ago. And I essentially gambled that, that it would become a very necessary supply channel because of retargeting and the, um, the hunt for, um, for users. And, and data-driven marketing essentially changed everything. A high net worth user could go to Cambridge News, for instance, and then go to Amazon and eBay and engage in Facebook and engage in their daily kind of digital interfacing. But not many advertisers would be able to reach them in the right context, on the right content. And uh, regional media, and to this day I still believe, is an, an immortal form of media and is going to be very important in the future. I see it as also as a, a bit of a blue ocean. That's really interesting. I'm just going to jump in there. Talking about context specifically with regards to local publications, when I look at or when I think about local publications and certainly the ones around where I live, the publications are still quite basic compared to a national publisher. Is there a role to play in sort of modernising those sites and do they really understand the potential of the data that they have and the audiences? What's happening is is that the realisation of this um, phenomenon of data and audience and the ability to personalize marketing messages is is taking place across the industry and with the specific reference to regional i think you're right i think that they're sitting on a wealth of audience and data that can be unlocked with regards to your comments on the content side of things if you're a daily mail reader or a telegraph reader this gives us a window into your kind of right or left leanings, your political persuasion, etc. In a digital ecosystem on a mobile phone, content is just aggregated all the time. So you could read articles from any of these um, media owners. And actually, it's very hard to determine what your views are uh, on the face of things, because digital works in a very different way. It's agile, it's fast, it's about bite-sized information. And I think that Regional can't be compared to national for that reason. Regional is about what's going on, where I live, what affects my life, what might, might I discover. It's a discovery model. It's about learning about what developments um, there may be in your, in your neck of the woods, in your neighborhood. It's about having a voice. So it's a, a mechanism to get your messages across, your own personal kind of campaigns in that locality. Um, and I, th- I think it fundamentally is different to national media. So, yes, the content might be richer. And, and some of the newsrooms have more talented journalists than others. And journalism as a phenomenon is, you know, it's in a, a period of risk. It's in a period of creation. It's struggling to adapt to digital. Um, but regional, I think, will find a way. I mean, if I see the clearest path, the clearest path to me is regional media. Um, and I think it's a very interesting place to be. And of all the regional media owners, they are developing that really well. And just to go back to programmatic then, it sounds like you've been at the beginning of the standardization of programmatic within the industry. So you've seen how that's going to evolve. What do you think are going to be the big challenges which the publishing industry is going to face due to programmatic? Yeah, I think its main growth area has been in display advertising, which is standard banners. 
the emphasis has been on the buying tools and the selling tools. That emphasis is still important and it, and it still remains. But actually looking at ways to deliver ROI and, and KPIs for advertisers, I think that's the good starting place. Um, and then I think programmatic just becomes a form of execution. It's not a, uh, it's not um, a mystery or a black box. Um, we need to move ourselves away from that. And it's not going to destroy uh, everything in its path. I think what actually needs to happen is that, and I think what will happen is that more and more specialists will be grown in this area. I mean, there's a handful of people that truly understand how data and DSPs and SSPs work um, together. And those people will train people and that, that pyramid structure will develop and, and more and more experts will emerge. And I think to answer your question, I feel that publishers need to be very cognizant of this of this phenomenon and its growth. And there will be some radical decisions that will need to be made over the next few years. I think you'll see the workforcing workforces that exist in agencies and media owners for that matter, diversifying, changing, um, learning new skill sets. And, and I think you will need to learn a new skill set to adapt to the programmatic era. And, and it will also have impacts in other industries. I think linear programming will come into programmatic, more automation, more AI will influence media execution. Um, and it will just, it, but it still is a consultative process. Human beings will fundamentally need to run that. And what specifically have you been doing at Trinity Mirror as you've had to adapt? You mentioned that all publishers are having to move and evolve and adapt. Could you give us a few examples of, of what that's looked like in your team? Yes. Um, at Trinity Mirror, we have an exceptional team across all our disciplines, um, from invention to the agency hubs to our programmatic specialist team. And I think that one of the, the, the virtues, and it's not an easy thing to do, but we've done quite well, is to engage and draw on the resources within the programmatic specialism to help improve sales and, and generate uh, business and leads across all disciplines in invention with specific agencies on specific briefs and cross-platform deals. And I think that in order to do that, you need to, when you don't know, you need to ask those who know. And there's an element of, of the unknown with programmatic because it's, it's an odd state of affairs that, you know, there's these guys that are really young in their early 20s that actually can answer the questions that these advertisers need answered um, because they are playing in these technology systems day in, day out. Um, and that can be quite a disruptive thing. It is disruptive. And what we need to do, I think, is cherish those people, wrap our arms around them. And Trinity has been exceptional at that. You know, you can read some of the, the success stories across the market. And I think Trinity Mirror will just go from strength to strength um, with regards to, to that development. In terms then of the way in which publishers respond to programmatic, because obviously it's had a huge impact on CPMs just across the board. How have you countered that? Are you sort of experimenting with things like private marketplaces? Are you um, using programmatic with your direct um, your direct media buys as well? I think the um, the, set, the programmatic sale is, is a different type of sale. Um, and this has been the underlying cause of what can be deemed in some instances as a, a loss of yield or a loss of business. But anyone that works in a publisher on advertising knows that when you grow a relationship with an advertiser, initially when they invest, they want to see results. And if the results come through, then they'll invest more money. Um, and that rule still stands the same. All I would say is that in a programmatic world, 
it might be not a direct IO, but it might be a private marketplace or a programmatic guaranteed deal. Um, it might be, so, and therefore it would be built via technology from a DSP to an SSP. But what you need to do is you need to have a partnership philosophy in growing that deal because technology can fall down, it can break. Anyone that works with private marketplaces know that they're not completely reliable yet. Um, and so you have to innovate and use your intuition to find methods of guaranteeing revenue into um, into your you know into your, into the publisher. And if you don't, there is a risk of just leaving all activity um, at the mercy of you know open exchanges. And and it's still healthy. Open exchanges can be a very creative area and space to work in. We have resources dedicated to that. And I think the skill set required to navigate the open exchanges where yields are considered to be lower are different to the sales skill set when you're selling to an individual. And if you have the skill set that, that applies to an open exchange, you can you can drive that yield up significantly, as we have here at Trinity Mirror. And I think that it's um, it's an opportunity for, for publishers to actually discover a new way of doing business. So, yes, the, the, there might have been an initial trauma um, to publishers, but uh, I'd say that there, there is um, a hope around the corner, but it's going to be data-led and an, and an intelligence-led sale, um, an audience-led sale, and it's got to be um, more dynamic than maybe previously before. You mentioned audience and data, and that's certainly historically where publishers have really been able to add value. You know your audience better than anyone. You've got the audiences coming through your site, and you're able to gather data on what they do and, and where they go to. So what are the what are the changes and, and evolutions that you've seen in the last couple of years with regard to being able to profile your audience? Are you now looking at things like bringing in um, third-party data? Are you looking at intention and psychographics? Can you talk about a few of the things you're trying out? Yeah, so I, I'm just to comment on that. I think that, you know, if you look at broadcast investment, TV investment, etc., um, the audience metrics are trusted, and you're right to say that, that it is an audience-led sale, but a lot of that data is survey-based data with some location. And those metrics just don't cut mustard in digital. I think the um, rise of data management platforms has been an interesting um, development and actually is crucial to publishers who wish to um, give more compelling case studies and more compelling um evidence-based or empirical-based um, investment incentives. If I can actually tell you what this specific person, and I don't like the word user, it's about people, what these people are doing, what they're reading, what their reading habits are. You know, when you compare um, Facebook and, and, and the Mirror and, and, you know, the Leicester Mercury or the Birmingham Mail or the Liverpool Echo, what's interesting is that on Facebook, people generally publish what they want people to know. When they go through our articles and read, that's actually what they're thinking about. That's what they want to know. And that can, you know, we can fit that into psychometric profiles. We can understand what that, what insight that gives us that may be relevant to certain advertisers. And that's just on the surface. So that's the behavioral data on the surface. When you actually look at users that click on ads or click on boxes or search on our sites or go to um, our comment section and write comments, there's a lot of custom data extraction that can be used to build a real profile of, of those people and, and that audience. And, you know, it's just about us. And I, and I always, because I, I, I 
I really try to remind myself and remind my team that when we're, you know, when we're selling, we need to ensure that we are emphasizing that these are real individuals and we actually know what they're up to. And I think that that is um, important when you are making your uh, media relevant to advertisers. What do you think the effect of GDPR coming in next year is going to be? Obviously, this legislation is is worrying pretty much everybody, but how is it going to affect you guys? Well, I knew you were going to ask that straight after. Um, there's, it's, you know, it's a bit of a grey swan and a bit of a black swan. It's a, you know, if you take, Tim, you know, you and I, our data traverses through thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of systems a day, um, you know, just based off our activity on digital devices. And there's no way to regulate that. So I think GDPR is, is, the, is the right step. It's the first step. Um, I think it will impact the walled gardens a bit more than it will impact, you know, the kind of tier two or the, I don't know what to call it. If you, if you, can, if you consider the walled gardens, the mega publishers. The Facebook and impact the, Yeah, exactly. It will impact the mega publishers before it impacts the, the publishers. And I think you you need that sort of regulation because our fingerprints are left everywhere. And, you know, if I could, for example, just proposition you, you know, I was presenting recently at Manning Gottlieb um, for their data forum with Alan King. And if I could proposition you and say that through um, if, if one of the um, outcomes of GDPR's objectives is that you could call up your, you know, you know, whoever, whatever media or social vertical you use and say, what are you doing with my data and how are you making money off it? Um, and at the end of that, you could get one P from every uh, piece of media that's transacted on your data, Tim Flagg's data. Is that an interesting proposition? I think so. <laughs> and it doesn't matter what you earn or where you are, who you are, you know, that might be something that you're right. That might be something that you're entitled to that. How can companies build billions and billions of do- dollars of pipeline revenue actual revenues and become hundreds of billions of dollars in in terms of valuation as a company and yet we as the people you know have no idea this is happening so there has to be a sense of accountability there has to be a sense of transparency and 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 gdpr is is good i don't think it's going to have as dramatic an impact as people think it is and and if it does it's going to impact the um the mega publishers first. Great. And, I, and I'm really glad you picked up on that point about the consumers being able to have their fair share of the transaction. The other thing which I do when I'm not doing the podcast is um, setting up a business called Advantageous, which does exactly that. It's trying to rebalance the value exchange to bring the consumer into that transaction between advertiser and publisher. But uh, Oh, that's brilliant. Uh, I'll, I'll explain more to you that offline. <laughs> yeah, no, we definitely want to hear more about that. So just staying on that theme and talking about the individual users who are on the site, we've talked about GDPR and, you know, I think, yes, there's there's a challenge, but there's also a massive opportunity there. But what about intention specifically? Because at the moment, the way in which we try and understand the intention of consumers is so blunt. Remember looking at various um, terminals, DSPs, and if you've visited a car website in the last 30 days, you're an auto intender. It, it's so blunt. But there's now opportunities particularly from a publisher side to really be able to qualify as you were alluding to before from the content they're reading from their behavior from asking them questions engaging them you know if if you've got subscriber sites there's so much data you could be putting together 
is the next level of, of data going to be about intention do you think yeah totally i mean this is a big um, part of my uh, kind of uh, my belief you know, i often paint it through the the vitruvian man if the social media platforms can reveal you know half of that man that's great but there is a whole unknown territory which sites like auto trader and uh, piston heads and um, ebay and amazon reveal about that user's purchaser intent and when you marry that data with their reading habits and their, their reading articles about Brexit, about um, business insurance, um, about finance, about the stock market, about, you know, there's real profiling that can be done to um, make marketing a lot more effective. And it's about Venn diagrams. It's about the shared behaviors that we all have and, and bringing that together I think, which will create a really cool data and marketing execution. And you need to um, you need to have no borders in digital. You need to see your touch point with the, with that particular individual or consumer as a um, a revealing window into something about them. But to learn more, you need to piece that together like a puzzle. And I'm very pro data sharing. I think that data should be shared under the right guidelines. Um, and I think that if marketeers or advertisers want to get the, the best return on their investment, they're going to need to collaborate on first party data in a lot more places and a lot more effectively than has previously been done. And we're starting to see that coming together in some of the DMPs now bringing in that data, the third party data and second mm. party as well. But just looking specifically at cross device, because that's another use case, or even just yeah. recognizing the same individual across a number of different sessions. What tech or what solutions have you found really interesting to be able to allow you to do that with the audiences? One of the only real proven cross-device solutions is um, when it's CRM-based and it's login-based and user session-based. So if you're logged in on your phone to Facebook and you're logged in on your desktop and you log in on your smart TV or etc., uh, Xbox, whatever, then we know that that user is operating those systems at that given time. I think beyond that, cross-device tracking capabilities are still actually quite infantile, um, and they're not in the strongest of, of places. There are other techniques that people are exploring, which um, is browser-related, is um, uh, related on estimation and predictability and probabilistic modeling. And I think that that is, is interesting, and it is good, but I've kind of avoided the distract I think cross device can become quite distracting you know results have to be the, the the focus and i tell you that i would tell you that sky with ad smart are doing something interesting in my opinion um but again there you know it is based on the user being logged in and it's not um as crystal as some uh sales decks would like would have us think um and it is though it is going to be more interesting, I think, with smart TVs and mobile phones. And, and if you consider those the two devices that people will be using in the future at length, then um, it will become a bit more simpler as well, I think. Glad we're talking about the future. I wanted to next ask you what you think the future is going to be for publishers. What will it look like by 2025? 2025? Wow, okay. So, Seems a long uh, way, but it's only like eight years. Well, <laughs> but so much can change. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, well, Providing that we don't fall victim to a nuclear holocaust uh, with Donald Trump and whoever else, I think um, 
we will be living in a world where it will definitely be a mobile first, first world. Um, I think that the mobile phone is probably the most important object in, in, in a person's life right now. I mean, you know, it's, it's, the, it's responsible for purchasing your groceries to choosing what you want to watch on Google Chromecast, the TV, YouTube. It's responsible for breakups because you're not paying enough time to your girl, paying enough attention to your girlfriend. It's everywhere. It's in restaurants, it's a cafe. I mean, everybody's looking at their, their mobile phone. It is their most important possession, right? And, what, and I think what that tells us is that we human beings fundamentally have addictive personalities. And the desktop keyboard or mouse uh, phenomenon um, is just changing. I think you know, if, if you, whoever you hold responsible for the formation of the mobile phone, it's Steve Jobs or it's Nokia or whoever. Um, I mean, I see the, the the smartphone is a massive break from from the Nokia. I used to have a Nokia phone at school, and if you would have told me that I would be doing my banking on this phone, I would be watching um, live sports on this phone, I would be, you know. Um, buying my, my order and takeaway on that phone, I would be, um, you know, take, doing surveys and exams on that phone and filling in uh, forms, I would have said, you're crazy. I, I can't do that on the phone. And I guess it's a bit of Henry Ford's, you know, if I would have asked people what they want, they would have said build faster horses. Um, and I think that you're going to see some, I think you're going to see flexible technology. I think it's technology that can be, you know, folded, packed away, neatly expands, I think you're going to see um, technology which has, you know, the, the, the screen is the motherboard um, and you can't see the motherboard, uh, but you can interact with the screen. I think that's going to get really interesting. But I do think that essentially the world of consumer transaction is not going to change. Uh, Apple Pay release, re- releasing, you know, the fingerprint approved uh, payment method, I think, is going to dramatically transform the conversion numbers, the uh, paid conversion numbers on um, on mobile phones from the desktop. You know, the desktop's quite your, quite a research frame of mind. A big turnoff on mobile is having to put all your credit card details in, and etc., and having you know 15 or 16 uh, form boxes that you have to enter uh, your details in just to make a purchase. Um, that will become easier, um, and I think that uh, content and its you know, regional media will still be around. I know that, and I believe that. I, you know, if you live in North Wales, and you know, the, the, the media in North Wales will be breaking a helicopter crash before anybody else. Um, there's lots of stories that are broken through regional media that then get absorbed into the BBC and ITV, etc. Um, that will still be huge. What will the national um, public publications look like? I don't know. I have a few theories on that, but I don't know. Um, I think uh, content consumption will become really video-based, very motion-based. Um, ads will become more dynamic and full motion. Um, doesn't necessarily mean f- made with a, recorded with a film camera, but piecing together images and animation. Um, and I don't think display banners will be around in the, the form that they are now, actually. I think those will disappear. What, what will they turn into? Do you think they become much more sort of relevant, personalised pieces of content, which are almost more natively? Yeah, yeah. So, so the big I, uh, recently I was quoted in Forbes, and I think the and what I said there, I, I still believe, which is, I think the biggest marriage we're waiting for is native ads to be married to data-driven marketing, 
and um, and it's going to happen. There are companies like Triple Lift and Adulike that are programmatizing themselves. And once you can serve a, a natively constructed or uh, ad with, with a couple of components in between a topic of articles that is so relevant, um, you're essentially building AdWords 2.0 and Facebook audience network. And and I think that that's really interesting. Facebook is expanding outside of the Facebook ecosystem with, with their audience network. And their recent header bidding announcement um, shows that the second that the MPU becomes actually a natively inserted ad slot, I think that's probably what the future is going to look like. Fascinating. Well, I'd love to um, maybe sort of catch up again with you in the future and see whether some of our predictions have, have come true. But it definitely it's been great to hear your insight from the beginning of programmatic right through local news where you've been working and sort of seeing that firsthand and then what you've been doing at trinity mirror thank you so much for your time joining us today on the clicksy digital marketing podcast thank you tim it was a real pleasure and uh, i thoroughly enjoyed our conversation find more episodes at clicksy.com forward slash podcasts or follow me on twitter at tim for change we'll be talking to more of our experts over the next few weeks until then Keep up to date with ClickZ and don't forget to review us on iTunes and Stitcher. ClickZ, the original digital business intelligence company founded in 1997, providing best practice advice, trends and insight from leading analysts and practitioners to a global community of more than 300,000 digital marketing and e-commerce professionals. Thank you for listening and bye for now.